Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. I'm Duffy Dixon. Let me introduce you first to Ben Sawyer. He is the CEO of Soar Vision Group with over 30 years of executive leadership experience, and Lisa Council, who is the Chief Commercial Officer of Soar. She has two decades of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience. This is considered what we like to call the deep dive. We like to follow up with people that we've had on our show to come back a second week and really delve into some of the things that came up. So the first thing we'll ask is if you can, if you can go on leaderdialogue.com slash podcast, you can listen to last week. We delve a little more into our guests and we've been focusing on the quest for performance excellence conference and the value of it. And this is something that's coming up in March and it is a benefit, it can be a benefit for companies of all sizes. That brings me to introduce our guests, Kay Kendall, who is the CEO of Baldridge Coach, and Josh Reset, <laughs> Executive Director of Corporate <laughs> Development from the Baldridge Foundation. Kay comes to us from going to these for a number of years, but she also, I mean, she's been on the path with these Baldridge Award winners. Well, she's a past judge and yeah. a master examiner. Yeah, we're really privileged again, Kay, to have both you and Josh back for week two, uh, talking about the Quest conference and the opportunity there. If you don't mind, we're going to jump right into it as a roundtable conversation. And for the listeners, the deep dive is very intentionally that. We're going to roundtable with these guests regarding their perspective on the Baldridge and the Quest Conference and the opportunity for performance excellence. To kick it off, uh, Kay, you mentioned early in last week's show that one of the advantages of the Baldridge, even in an accelerated business environment like the age of consumerism that we're in now, that the alignment of the organization down to the individual is significantly differentiating because an organization can be much more agile in a highly high quality high performance way can you elaborate on that a little bit for the listeners in the deep dive sure one of the things i i oftentimes will challenge senior leaders to do is go out into your organization and perhaps in groups that you don't lead so it's less intimidating and ask people what are the three most important things that our organization is focused on this year And in many organizations, you will get so many different responses that if you were going to ask those folks to turn on a dime, it would take so long because they're not in alignment right now. If you go out to organizations that are using and effectively using the Baldrige Excellence Framework, you get much more unanimity of responses. And now think about that. Suppose you had three things and everybody knew that's what you were focused on, but suddenly there's a, a change in your environment change in the competitive nature of it. And you needed to make a a swift change in one of those three things and redirect it. How much easier would that be? Yeah, that's a really, that's That's, a great point. It is. And it's so practical. Yeah. That's what makes it so great is practical. Every organization can try it, test it. Yeah. It reminds me actually, we had um, Dr. Morton Hansen on our show. Okay. I don't know if you've read his his latest book, Great at Work, he was a co-author with Jim Collins of Great by Choice. His first principle in his book, Great at Work, is 
you have to do less and then obsess, which is this exact concept that you talked about of the organization has to focus and then apply dedicated effort to make sure that they can accomplish that. And the Baldridge, to your point, helps organizations move in that direction, correct? Yes, and, and to piggyback on that, the other thing that, that Baldridge helps you do is truly empower your workforce. Because if people know what's most important, they know your values, they make decisions all the time. Even if you're a micromanager, you can't micromanage people enough to be able to direct their every move. So now with their discretionary thought, they know what's most important. That's right. So Jennifer, let's talk a little bit about that, which is effective leadership within the context of the Baldridge, but just in general, as, as Kay just alluded to, you can't there's no way to get success with micromanagement. Can you talk about that a little bit? I know you just recently wrote a white paper that addresses some of those things. I mean, there's so many different directions we could go with this right now, but I'll, I'll start with saying if you look at organizations that um, have pursued Baldridge and received Baldridge, you'll find that we talked last week about the categories and there are uh, the seven categories, and, and you could argue, obviously, every single one of those are critical to organizations, but there are certain ones that tend to have a higher correlation with high-performing organizations, and some of those include leadership, as well as workforce, and as well as measurement analysis and knowledge management, so categories one, five, and four, respectively. Um, and so when you think about leadership, it really sets the foundation for everything that happens in an organization. It could either be a catalyst for change and for improvement and driving results, uh, or it can be a counteragent where it's actually directly hindering it um, if it's not founded based on empowerment and alignment to the organization to where people understand, hey, what does this mean to me when the organization is pursuing these two strategic objectives or three strategic objectives? Right. And, and we've talked again in previous shows how enlightened leaders understand the difference between authority, which is inherent in mm-hmm. their position, and responsibility, which is what they share with the front line. Mm-hmm. And, and really, actions are largely experiments, right, that are back and forth a dialogue between senior leadership, decision making and frontline action. And, and again, experienced leaders understand that, that they don't own both authority and responsibility. They share responsibility. Another theme that came up last week, Kay, that I I was hoping you could talk a bit more about, you elucidated the 12 values that are inherent in the Baldridge framework, and and you also had talked about the seven categories. Can you talk a little bit about the intersection of those two and the significance of that? Well, the the core values and concepts are not uh, a separate element of criteria. They are, if, if you think about it like a loom, they are woven through the categories. So for instance, a systems perspective, well, that that describes the whole framework itself. Customer-focused excellence will show up in leadership, category one. It will show up again in strategy, category two. It will show up certainly in three, customers. It's also going to show up in four in terms of your measurement system. Do you have measures that are reflective of what matters to your customers? Right. It will show up again in category five. So what do you do in terms of instilling a customer focus, customer service standards with your workforce? And category six is how do you design your, your key work processes so that they meet customer requirements and expectations? So 
it's woven throughout. And then, of course, it shows up again in Category 7 when we look at customer-focused uh, results. Yeah, I, I like that uh, metaphor and reference of it's interwoven mm-hmm. together. That's, that's, that's great. So, so Kay and Josh, uh, if I'm a leader and I want my organization to improve and I don't want to be in the same place I am today, five years from now, what's something I can do right now to get my leadership engaged and involved and educated about the Baldridge framework? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I think Kay had even touched upon this in our, our time before. Um, but one of the things you can do is go to nist.gov you know, forward slash Baldridge. And on there, there are a variety of, of free tools and resources. Specifically, if you look underneath the self-assessing tab on the website, you can find different improvement tools, uh, tools that will help you talk about different uh, you know, topics such as, are you a role model leader? Or are we making progress? Different things to really help you get started along the way. And the great thing is these are all free. The other resource that I would point to in addition to the upcoming Quest for Excellence is the Alliance for Performance Excellence is a collaborative of the state and regional-based Baltics programs. And many times they are very welcoming of people who are just in an exploratory phase. So I would encourage you to reach out to your state and regional programs in fact, many of them have conferences. I'm speaking at one in Tennessee next week. And their conferences can be a little, I don't want to say intimidating, but a little more approachable in terms of if you're trying to bring a bunch of senior leaders, it may be a little bit easier for you to persuade them to go to an event that's not as much travel expense as perhaps going to the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps they can even drive to and they might be able to network with other local leaders. Yeah, that's a that's a good suggestion. Thank you, Kay, for bringing that up. So another topic that we talked about last week that I, I wanted to ask uh, your help with, Kay, is for those organizations that just want to understand the process itself and the scoring guidelines and dimensions, in other words, so let's say they want to do a Baldridge, they want to embark on this journey, and they want to do it to be Baldridge-worthy, not just to right, not achieve just to the award. The, that the was award. an important point last week. But they just you know, don't understand the process or, or how, how it's scored or what the dimensions are. Can you talk a little bit about that and provide some clarity? I can, and, l- and let me talk first about the um, application process. So in order to apply for Baldridge, you have to meet certain criteria. Uh, One of those would be receiving the top-level award at one of these alliance programs. So that's one way. You can also, there are other eligibility ways that you can apply. I would encourage you again, though, to take your first step towards working with some of these alliance programs. Many of them have a tiered application process. And by that, I mean the full Baldrige application or their top-level award is a 55-page application. Many of the ones that have a tiered process start out first with just doing the organizational profile. That's five pages. That's just a description of who you are. You don't have to learn any Baldrige language to be able to write your organizational uh, profile. The next tier might include perhaps 15 pages at a basic question level. The next tier might be 30 pages at the overall question level. And then the final product would be that 55-page application that is at all of the multiple questions in the criteria. Then in every program that I'm familiar with, the applications are then distributed to uh, trained examiners who sign a conflict of interest 
statement declaring they have no significant knowledge of this applicant and no no conflicts with it. They conduct what's called an independent review. And that means they they review your application and they write a feedback report sitting all by themselves at night and on the weekends because they're all volunteers. And then they have either an in-person consensus meeting or in Baldridge, it's consensus is all done by phone. Then what happens is they consent on the comments, they consent on the scores, and that feedback report then goes to a panel of judges. The judges at that point, at least for the Baldridge program, don't know the identity of the applicants. They know only the scoring profiles and what sector they're in. And they make a determination starting with the lowest scoring applicant until they reach a point where they think this organization is probably mature enough that they deserve a site visit. And the purpose of a site visit is to really verify and clarify what's in the application. So anytime that you have an opportunity to submit an application where you're guaranteed of a site visit, which many of the Alliance programs will do, you're in a much better place because the feedback is more actionable. Without a site visit, the examiners may write comments that really are more reflective of, I'm sorry to say this, how poorly you wrote your application, <laughs> right. but your organization right. could be much better than that. Following a site visit, the teams again revise their consensus scorebook. They may even rescore some of the items. Then all of that documentation go to the judges, and the judges at this point know your organization's identity. They will have reviewed your application. They will review the site visit report, the site visit issue worksheets, and then the judges will make a final decision as to the award. In the tiered programs, it may be an award level. There may be not just a top-level award, but some levels below that that you might still receive recognition. That's, I hope that helped. That's very helpful. Absolutely. No, I, that was that was excellent. So, um, Jennifer, I wanted to ask you a question. Relative to the Baldridge Journeys, um, the Baldridge is, is non-prescriptive, and, which is wonderful because it is universally applied and applicable to any organization wherever they're at. There also, though, are some acceleration tools and things that organizations can use to help uh, support the process that they're going through individually. Can you just talk a little bit about those? Sure. So I completely agree around, you know, obviously one of the things that people typically mention is that Baldridge is non-prescriptive, as you, as you said. Uh, the value of that is that it gives you, you know, a framework. It gives you principles that you can apply, but without telling you a cookie-cutter approach of what has to be done. So a few tools come to mind. One is actually on the Baldridge website. They actually share all of the recipient applications, and that is just a wealth of knowledge where you can go in, see their processes, see how they wrote up portions of their application, see the tools that they shared. Um, so that's available, obviously, to anyone. And then there's other things, as as you know, um, SOAR actually offers a ton of valuable tools, if I can put in a self-plug for us, such as our Pulse technology, which is purpose-led strategy execution system. Um, and what that allows you to do is to actually take your processes and your strategy and cascade it uh, down to every level of the organization and align it with the actions that are going on, which ties to your whatever your performance excellence system is, as well as the actual data and metrics that are telling you how well you're doing. So it really supports the premise of, you know, focus on what you, what you need to focus on, act to make sure you're achieving that focus, and then get feedback so you can recalibrate. 
Um, I will say, just like any organization that implements a technology, it's not an end-all, be-all tool that's going to save the day. It has to be embedded around processes. It has to be incorporated into the, the daily bread, the day-to-day of what you're doing, as opposed to just kind of a tool on the side um, that you have. But it's, it, it's got to actually be used. And when it is used, just like all the other resources that are available, it allows organizations to truly drive value at an accelerated rate because you know we have technology today so we should take advantage of it there's trouble we often have with technology today is we have too much of Mm -hmm. it and they're all in separate systems Mm -hmm. so if you can bring that together it brings a lot of value um, so that everyone is on the same page awesome that's really helpful so uh, Kay, you talked last week about an award-worthy journey versus an award-seeking journey can you talk a little bit more about that? That was really an interesting insight. We, we actually call it the Baldrige Award paradox, is that when we're <laughs> approached by clients that tell us we want to win the Baldrige Award, we can pretty much say that they're not mm-hmm. because they're focused on the wrong thing. They're, they're, it's a shiny object syndrome. They will lose heart and lose focus. Those that really understand that this is a, about creating and perpetuating and sustaining excellence they will get there. And I'd like to just share one story. Worked with uh, Kindred, it was then Kindred, Mountain Valley out in Kellogg, Idaho, and worked with their senior leader, their, their administrator. They're a 68-bed skilled nursing facility. Their center was built in 1970. It's a single-story building. They have no private rooms, no spa-like amenities. And when I got out there in 2011, I was absolutely blown away by them. They went on to win the Long-Term Care Industries Baldrige-based highest level award, the Gold Award. Their executive director, Mary Ruth Butler, and their senior leaders were so focused on this journey, and I stayed in touch with them, and I kept saying, you all have no idea how exceptional you are. We finally convinced them to apply to Baldrige in 2016. They are, to date, the only skilled nursing facility in the country to have won the Baldrige Award. That's amazing. Now, why why would a 68-bed skilled nursing facility be able to compete on that stage with large organizations? Because the leaders were passionate about improvement. In fact, when they won the Baldrige Award, if you go out and look at their recipient profile, for the three years prior to that, they had 100% resident and family satisfaction for three years. I've never even heard they, of that. The, oh, my gosh, that's unheard of. Yeah, yeah That's sure. amazing. They, they have less than half of the state average of turnover in staff, despite the fact that they have people drive to their facility past hospitals that pay $15 an hour more. I'm hoping more skilled nursing facilities are going to follow their suit. Yeah, can we please? We just are encouraging <laughs> several. Can we? we are. Please um, just try to replicate so, that now here in Georgia, please. <laughs> so, so to me, that's the whole notion of award-worthy versus pursuit of the award, mm-hmm. because they weren't even planning on applying for Baldrige, but yet that was that was their trajectory as they kept trying to get higher and higher levels of performance. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story, Kay. And by the way, for the listeners, Kay is the author of a book called "Leading the Malcolm Baldrige Way: How World-Class Leaders Align Their Organizations to." achieve exceptional results, which the example you just gave kind of showcases the title of that book. Um, Any other insight regarding the book that you want to share with the listening audience? 
just just one that actually was pretty surprising to us, but then in upon reflection, not so much. We interviewed more than 50 leaders from more than 30 organizations that had either won the Baldrige Award or a Baldrige-based award. And we had a standard set of questions. We did all of these except one by phone interviews. And as I was going across all of my transcripts, because I would type their responses verbatim as we talked, I realized that we did not have a question about culture. And every single leader we talked to brought up the importance of organizational culture. Yeah, I can totally see that. And and what did they say why that was so important? For some of the reasons that we talked about earlier about knowing what's most important, they, they talked about having the vision and values be real having them not just be the laminated values, (laughs) having them be part of how senior leaders make decisions, your, your recruitment and your hiring practices, that people need to understand what's an acceptable culture and what's not acceptable. And several of the leaders talked about if they were brought into an organization, what intentional changes they had to make to get the culture they desired. Right. Jennifer, this reminds me of the conversation that you and I were having this week regarding the impact of leadership, empowerment, and behaviors on culture. Um, I'm putting you on the spot, but can you talk a little bit to the listening audience about that conversation as it relates to what Kay was just talking about? Sure. And I I think if anything is um, as clear of how significant culture is, it's around the story of what she just told around you know, 100% patient and client satisfaction, um, the turnover being half of others. I mean, that doesn't happen by things like bribery for, you know, when you're paying less than the competitor or similar situation down the road. I mean, that happens because people want to stay and there's a genuine desire to be there. And, you know, there's so many things that tend to stem from there, but, you know, leadership and culture are typically driven through the environment. You can walk in and feel a culture. I mean, you guys, I'm sure if you've been to organizations or places of business, you walk in and you know almost right away what type of a feel you get from that that place of business. Whether it's a hospital, a retail store, a restaurant, a school, you can tell, you can see what it is that they have. That's kind of the untold story, what's in the walls, so to speak. Um, And, you know, that is often driven by a combination of the, the, the strategy that you've been, that you've decided on. Is that strategy aligned with your talent that you've got in place? Is it aligned with the skills that your organization brings to the market? Um, Does it make sense? Does it fill a need? Is it something that ultimately inspires people through, through purpose of what they're doing and passion? That's something that comes from Morton Hansen's book. He talks about, you know, P squared in his books. And then the other side of that is then do your operations support it? Because you can tell people you've got a great mission all day long, but if you don't engage the organization by enabling them with processes that work and helping them empower them in, in an organization, engaging them in, in performance improvement and innovative solutions, then it's just words, right? So there's got to be actions that say, hey, if you're encountering a problem, we want our team to fix it. We want to know about it so we can address it. And, and there's got to be elements of the organization structurally that support that. A really good example, Ben, if you recall, we were working with a hospital and one of the objectives for 
the case managers inside of the emergency department was to assess, is this patient, uh, is there medical necessity for this patient to be admitted? Because if we can have that patient treated in an outpatient setting, that's better for the patient. It's less expensive. It's less likely to have any kind of infection or issues, right? But on the flip side, um, that organization had them incentivized in some in a way that was completely different. It was just around how many patients they can go talk to without being actual meaningful touch points around that uh, encounter, right? So are we identifying the right patients to talk to as opposed to just the volume of patients we talk to? And that's an example of where incentives may not be aligned with what you're actually saying to your employees, with what you're encouraging and encouraging them to do. So there's that balance. And the reason I, I say that is because there's this foundation of uh, leadership that has to engage and empower your, your employees. That helps create the culture. But there's also behaviors that can drive and enhance that culture as well. That, that's a great answer. Thank you. And for being put on the spot, that was impressive. <laughs> Kay, um, we're, we're again wrapping the end of our deep dive. Um, some sort of last thoughts based on this conversation or things that that may have not come up that you want to make sure listeners are walking away with? Thinking back to somebody I worked for years ago, and, and he had a saying, and, and it was when people would be pushing back on some effort he was trying to champion. And he always asked the question, if not this, what? Mm-hmm. If not now, when? Right. And I thought that was just such a great way to get people to really drop their guards and think about Seriously, is is our world going to be any less complex five years from now? Will our competition be any less fierce? Will the demand for talented, engaged employees be less? So if not this, then what? And if not this, then when? Right. That's That's a great way to wrap up this session Duffy and well before we do that so again for those of you who want to get more involved and want to learn more about Quest um, we'd like for you guys to go and register though again those dates are March 24th through the 27th Duffy I'll turn it over to you if you want to give some additional details I do so those of you who are listening we said it pretty fast it's nist.gov and for those of you who don't know the word NIST, which I'm looking at both of you at the table, like you saw my face, or I was like, oh, what? Um, it's N-I-S-T. It stands for National Institute of Standards and Technology. So nist.gov slash Baldridge. And again, that's B-A-L-D-R-I-G-E. And it sounds like just alone what she said, if you can look at, at what candidates filled out you can actually see what they filled out trying to you know get this be worthy of this award that in and of itself there's a lot on there to just get people started and thinking about it and as you said before you even get on the Baldridge journey you can go to one of these quest events and see what it's all about and you have access to all of these award winner that's right it's amazing yeah. so join us in dc and come on down that's right come on ben, up ben ben's the large guy with red hair just saying <laughs> and he's I'll lots be there. of fun yeah <laughs> thank you so much Kay, for joining us we really appreciate it with all of your uh with all of your experience we really appreciate it and also 
Josh Reset. We appreciate you too, the Baldridge Foundation. Thank you so much for everyone mm-hmm. who's been listening. Again, if you didn't hear last week, please join in because a lot of great things and a lot of good reasons to look into the Baldridge Foundation. Uh, I want to thank everyone on behalf of Ben and Lisa and myself, also our producer. And Jennifer. Oh, and Jennifer. We keep forgetting about Jennifer. Yeah, I don't know on what's going phone. on I there. know. I know. You're not, you're not forgettable. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. That's right. <laughs> we really appreciate everyone listening. And uh, on behalf of our producer, Mike, as well, I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.